Hey, mujeres. My name is Gladys Godinez, host of the Courageous Mujer podcast. This season, me siento muy excited to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month by focusing on our cultura, our identity, and our accomplishments by getting to know six wonderful Latinas throughout the state. Courageous Mujer Podcast celebrates Hispanic Heritage Month is sponsored by Humanities Nebraska, Dr. Katie Whites, and United by Culture Media, an affiliate of the Lexington Community Foundation. We know that we're just scratching the surface and we will continue to embrace, support, and celebrate each and every single one of you. From Scotts Bluff to Lincoln y desde North Platte a Omaha. Feliz mes de la herencia hispana. Bienvenidos, everyone. Welcome to uh, Courageous Mujer Podcast. I am your host, Gladys Godinez, and I am so excited to bring you my guest, Valeria Rodriguez, desde Scotts Bluff. Diría buenas tardes aquí y buenos días allá, because it is 11 a.m. over there. Okay, Valeria, bienvenida. I am so excited you're here. Valeria Rodriguez, she has co-founded Empowering Families. She has worked for Define America, a national organization. She graduated from UNL, is the, the west side of Nebraska. Welcome, Valeria. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited and happy to be here with you and having these amazing conversations. Yes, and much needed conversations. And then before we start, let's go ahead and dig into um, some a quick question, because I love to start with quick questions. I want to ask you, what was one of your first jobs? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my first jobs was uh, working the fields. Um, so I started working, uh, there were flower fields, actually, um, when I was 12 years old. Um, and so we would go into these beautiful, beautiful flower fields and just hoe out all the weeds from those fields. And um, the farmer would sell the seeds. Um, and so we had to ensure that there was no, no weeds. And so that was that was my first job when I was 12 years old. Where was this at? Was it in IE? Close this to was here. This in Morrill, Nebraska, which is about, um, say, about 12 miles west of Scotts Bluff. Oh, my goodness. I remember, I don't know how old I was, but I remember one of my first jobs was going out there to the fields. And honestly, I don't know what I was harvesting because they told me this is what the weed looks like. And I was like, it doesn't look different than the weed. So I was cutting up everything on mi línea, you know, and then somebody yelled at us and we were like, ¿Quién está cortando esta, esta, esta línea? And I was just like, oh, my goodness. I, I was there with my two older brothers. And I was like, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And we got in so much trouble. I lasted for two days. So oh. let's just say harvesting and field work no era para mí, at least not then. Uh, now I'm trying gardening. Do you have a garden at home? Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I, not yet. Next year I will. Good. Well, I definitely invite you to it. It definitely suits me and it helps me connect con mi mamá. So I'm, I'm really really grateful for our little garden that we have in the backyard. Well, good. Let's let's dig into identity and pronouns. Si me haces el favor, I want to make sure that everybody knows they're welcomed here regardless of your, you know, identity and we want to make sure that, you know, you I can I can talk to you and identify you properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um as Gladys mentioned, my name is Valeria Rodriguez. I identify myself as she her hers. Um and in terms of Identity, well, soy mexicana, I'm an immigrant to this country. Um, and then when we're talking about Latino, Hispana, Latina, Hispana, Latinx, um, I guess I'm all of those as well. 
Well, yes. And it's interesting. We talked a little bit about this before, and I've seen you post a couple of things about identity, ethnic identity to be specific, mm -hmm. and then how we were seeing all of these words. And I know people are going to get confused, you know, and they're like, okay, so I know Hispanic, I know Latino. Well, and maybe we don't know. We just know of the word, right? And we don't even know how to define it. And then I know um, I'm hearing this Latinx and I'm hearing La Latine and yes. I'm hearing other uh, identities. I, I saw your post. So I want to give you some space. If you can break down Hispanic y Latino just for us. And then I don't know if we'll have enough time to dig into the rest of the identities. But those two are also different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, Latino is anyone that uh, is a part of a Latin American country um, that does include um, Brazil, um, that does include, you know, our Caribbean um, islands. Um, and then Hispanic are folks that, you know, countries were colonized by Spain. Um Hispaniola, right? That's that's where the word Hispanic comes from. Um, and it does include Spain. Um, and Latino doesn't include Spain, right? And then for us, we're in the middle, right? As me being born in Mexico, being a Mexicana, um, we were colonized by Spain. Um, so we are Hispanos and we are part of Latino America. So we are also Latino. So... <laughs> And then there's folks that aren't in the middle and it's only either Hispanic or Latino. Right. And those terms, even though they're trying to be inclusive, can also be exclusive. Right. So if we use them incorrectly, um, th they can definitely damage the a conversation if we don't talk about it a little bit more. And mm -hmm. just to be able to make sure we touch our LGBTQ plus community, uh, Latinx y Latine, mm -hmm. do you want to break that down a little bit? Yeah, um, Latinx and Latine, I definitely, most definitely um, is inclusive of our LGBTQA plus community. Um, Latinx uh, recently emerged, actually, when I was an undergrad, was when that term was um, coming to flourishing um, so that it is respected, it's respected of um, all of our LGBTQA plus um, identities. And Latine, that is actually one that I recently just heard a couple weeks ago um, and wasn't familiar with. And so I'm still learning about that. I'm definitely still learning about that. That one is definitely trying to embrace the LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. a uh, community, but then also embrace the Espanol community. So mm -hmm. the community that speaks Spanish instead of the X, because that is not something that, you know, that is part of the uh, vocabulary, mm -hmm. then they want to make sure that, yes, we acknowledge our LGBTQ plus community, but can we utilize the letter E instead? So it is all a learning curve for all of mm -hmm. us because we definitely want to make sure that we identify individuals as they want to be identified. So mm -hmm. Valeria is Mexican, as we heard, Yolanda, Chicana. Myself, I've I've identified as Latina for the longest time, you know, y Guatemalteca or Guatemalan. I love my flag, but I don't know if I identify as Guatemalan as as often as I probably should. So it's very interesting how we continue these conversations and how we evolve as we continue to grow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. 
So let's dig in, Valeria. I, I know you through a lot. Uh, we met approximately four years ago through a lot of GOTV mm -hmm. campaigns, and we met tra you know, traveling the state while you were in college and, you know, graduating. Um, so I, I want the world to meet you. I want the world to celebrate all of the awesome work that you do, the awesome things that you're doing in West Nebraska. But I know you also touch lives throughout the state, um, especially with UNL, your alma mater. So let's just start with little Valeria y luego seguimos. And we'll, we'll end up with grown Valeria, who we're talking to right now. So little Valeria, you, you said you, you mentioned you were born in Mexico, right? I was born in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, Mexico, which is in the border of Texas, um, border of McAllen and Reynosa. And so I was born on the other side of the border. I was born in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, Mexico. Um, my family and I, we immigrated to Mitchell, Nebraska, which is just seven miles from Scotts Bluff when I was five years old in 2000. And I started kindergarten there. Didn't know one bit of English. <laughs> I actually got held back in kindergarten because I didn't know English. <laughs> um and we we were undocumented. We lived the undocumented life um, for the first eight years. Um, thankfully, my dad, he had his green card and he was able to become a U.S. citizen and petition for my family and I to um, adjust our status. Um, and I remember I was in fourth grade when I was helping my dad study for the citizenship exam. Um, and and then in fifth grade, um, we, we went to Omaha for our interview to get our green card. Um, and I remember that whole experience because I had to, I was the one going with, with my parents and helping fill out and reading immigration papers. And that was me have fourth grade, fifth grade. And I'm sure there's many um, children of immigrants or, you know, immigrant youth that can relate as well. Um, and so, yeah, that was up until I was in fifth, fourth grade. And um, that was not an, a, a cheap, a cheap experience, right? Um, the immigration process is very expensive and my dad is the only provider and that's where all of our money went to. And so I would hear my parents talking about how um, there wasn't going to be money for groceries or they were going to have to pay the rent or the, you know, electricity bill late and so forth. And I would go to school and I, all I could think about was that conversation that they had at night um, about their financial worries. And so then, um, you know, after I got my green card, I was like, well, I can I can work. And so that's when I started to work the fields. I, it was the summer after my sixth grade year that I started to work the flower fields so that my parents didn't have to worry about buying me shoes or school clothes or school supplies. And, you know, if I could help with groceries, you know, I would, I would be able to. Um, and so I thought that that was something I needed to do so that they could, you know, they wouldn't have to worry as much, right? I wanted to do anything in my hands um, to be able to help them financially. And so I started to work the fields when I was in sixth grade. Um, like I mentioned, the flower fields and we would do some bean fields as well. And so that's yeah. up in sixth grade. <laughs> in sixth grade, I mean, I'm just trying to think of my daughter, you know, Esperanza. She's currently in fifth grade. And her biggest worry is what is she going to get out of the treasure box when the market opens, when her teacher opens up a market, mm -hmm. you know, and she wins this uh, fake cash. So recently we were just talking about that. Anyway, imagino the stress, you know, the <laughs> burden Right. As young immigrant children that we have, 
um, to be able to assist, help, and support our family members as we continue to grow here in the United States. I used to work at a flea market. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, little miniaturas, <clears throat> but I used to sell those miniaturas at a flea market next to my parents while they were selling different things, miscellaneous stuff that sometimes we found, you know, just laying on the curb. So then we can afford food for the next day or afford anything that we could for for just our livelihood. So it is, um, it warms my heart, de que creciste así, but it also, you know, it kind of hurts my heart because it's so much, uh, bird, it's a, such a big burden for us as we continue to grow up in the, in the shadows, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely had to become an adult at a very, at a very young age. Right, right. Well, let's let's talk a little bit then about middle school and high school. How was Valeria then? Middle school and high school. Um, oh, I was I loved basketball, so I was playing basketball. Uh, I was on the traveling team actually. So on top of working the fields, I was also traveling and and, play, and playing Wyobraska. Um, and then uh, so I continued to do that, and that's how I would pay for when I was working the fields, right? I'd get the money, and I was able to pay for my food while we were traveling, and my basketball shoes and stuff like that. Um, and then junior high, it was the same thing. Um, early in the mornings, we'd have practice during the summer. And so I'd go and do practice and the weight room and stuff like that. And then after that, I'd go, um, it was either working yard work as well was something that I had started up doing, um, and then working the fields as well. And then on top of that, I had started working at a Mexican restaurant called La Joya. And so I would work the fields from 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. And then I'd come home, shower and work at La Joya from 3 p.m. to 7 to 10 p.m. Um, my eighth grade freshman year of, of junior high, high school. And then I did sports up until my sophomore year. Um, and my sophomore year of high school, that was when they were starting conversations about upward bound. Um, and um, it was, it's a, it's a college preparatory program uh, for low income students. Um, and I applied for it and I was able to get in and they started talking about college. And I'm like, that was the first time I ever heard about college. I'm like, I'm not going to go to college. Like my parents, you know, have never told me that I can go to college. Like I'm going to stay here, continue to support them and, you know, whatever that they need. Um, and then, you know, we were talking about how expensive college is. I'm like, okay. And then given my own experience and going through the immigration process, like I want to, to become an immigration attorney. And I'm like, I'm going to go to college. I want to become an immigration attorney and help others go through the same process we went through because it was not an easy process. Um, so I wanted to help others go through that process. And then, but then I was like, I don't have a car. How am I going to get to college? <laughs> and so then I dropped, I, I stopped doing sports um, to work after school so that I can uh I can start saving up for college and for a car so I can go to college. Um, but then I started looking into scholarships and I was not a U.S. citizen. I only had my green card. And even then there was tons and tons of scholarships that I wasn't eligible for because I didn't have that citizenship. And so then I remember 
when I, when we were at our USCIS United States Citizenship United States Citizenship Immigration Services interview for our green card, I remember the immigration official saying, "You are automatically a U.S. citizen because you are a minor and your dad became a U.S. citizen. You just have to apply." and uh, fill out the N-600. And he wrote it down in a sticky note and gave it to us. And I looked at it, I'm like, okay, N-600. And that stuck to me. And so my junior year of high school came around when I was starting to put my list of scholarships together. That way, once fall semester of senior year came, I was going to apply for the list of scholarships I was eligible for. And so then I remembered that N-600. So I did my research on how to fill out the N-600. And so I went to a lady that helped us fill out our immigration papers and she helped me fill out my N-600 and I became a U.S. citizen my junior year of high school. But I had to work two jobs. Um, I I didn't have the support from my family um, to pay for financially, to pay for the application and then the trip to go to Omaha, stay two nights there um, for for the inner, you know, for my oath of allegiance. Um, and so I got a second job um, at another restaurant and was able to save up. The other thing was that, you know, I would talk a lot about this experience to my Spanish teacher. And she she knew the how anxious I was about this process. And I also didn't have my, my parents' support um, in terms of college. So the, I was on my own to figure out how I'm, I was going to pay for college. Um, and I would just break down crying with her. And there was three other students there because um, we were in the higher level of, of the Spanish class. And um, she ended up going around and asking for funds to the other teachers to help me go to Omaha for my ceremony. And before I went to Omaha, um, our arts teacher made me a, a American flag cake um, and my Spanish teacher gave me, it was close to $200. Um, and with that, uh, we were able to pay for gas and so forth so that I could go to my ceremony, my junior year of high school. And so that is something that, you know, when we talk about allyship, um, that is allyship right there. She didn't understand my experience. She didn't know what it mean, meant to be an immigrant nor what I had gone through. But I mean, she's always going to be a part of my story because she helped me in that way. I think it's so beautiful, Valeria. I mean, I just got a baby snippet of your life. And not only have I learned that you're oh, a hard worker, right? Porque has trabajado tan duro. But your courage, not only to take that on in middle school and a little bit of elementary, but courage to take it on in junior high and high school. And then continue without that support that sometimes we take for granted, right? Individuals that are that have that support, sometimes we don't get it from our own family. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think that's beautiful that you found that outside support because without them, sometimes it's it, it's it's impossible already, right? Mm -hmm. You're high school, you're in Scott's Bluff, you have to travel más de cinco horas, five hours, right? If not more, all the way to Omaha to become a national a naturalized citizen, um, and just all of this uh, lies so heavy on a teenager. Mm -hmm. um, and you have overcome courageously, you know, like just continuously pushing through. And I just, I can't, 
I'm very grateful for your courage and continuously being able to see that you have to, you know, sometimes we have to ask for help from those that may not even know our own path or may not understand, but there's always somebody there um, that's willing to listen. And I, I'm mm -hmm. grateful for that teacher. Mm -hmm. um, porque, what's her name? Let's call her out. Let's, let's give her flowers now. <laughs> Starkey. It's her name, Miss Starkey. Well, yeah, thank you, Mrs. Starkey, for doing that uh, for Valeria. She's grown. I mean, we still have plenty to see what Valeria is going to do here and nationwide. So I'm super excited. So you you went ahead. You sobreviviste the high school situation. You graduated. I want to ask you this. And if you feel comfortable enough to talk about it, please do. If not, then just, you know, we'll pause and move on forward. But how was it when you naturalized you did it. You got you you got that acceptance for school for upward bound program. Mm -hmm. And your parents were they in shock? Were they shook? Were they like, wait a minute, so is this happening? <laughs> or porque I know my dad, you know, I, I love my dad, but I know I felt some frustration on his end, you know, porque mm -hmm. era la niña, era la primera niña, and I'm trying to I'm trying to overcome. I'm trying to, I don't, you know, my brothers can do X, Y, and Z, but I can also do, you know, everything and more. Mm -hmm. um, so how, how was that? If you're, if you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I got my citizenship. I started applying for scholarships and senior year, uh, I go with my mom to the post office and I kept getting all of these acceptance letters of scholarships and so forth. I'm like, ama, voy a ir a colegio, voy a ir a UNL. And she would just look at me with this, like, she's, she's really going to go. Like, there's nothing that I'm going to do to stop her. Like, she's going to go. Because they had threatened, my parents had threatened me to take my car away. Because I'd buy in a car. I convinced my dad to co-sign for me, but I had to pay for it, right? Pay for my car payment and my insurance. Um, my mom was so angry when, my, when I got my dad to co-sign for me. Ahora no la vas a parar, se va a ir, se va a ir. <laughs> and so they threatened to take my car away. Well, it's not under my name. It's my, my dad's name, right? So they threatened to take my car away. I'm like, se quedan con su carro, yo me voy a ir. I'll find a ride. <laughs> I'll find a ride. You know, I, I don't need a car to get around Lincoln. There's public transportation. And it finally, like, it just settled. You know, they just finally came to the realization that I was going to do it with or without them with or without their support. So then um, spring semester of senior year, they they accepted it and they ended up dropping me off at UNL. And yeah. Yes, 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 yes. What a story. <laughs> you know, I, it, um, many reasons why this podcast is para mujeres is specifically because of that story you just told. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. nuestras familias sometimes do not support uh, the young women inside of their households that are more than capable, more than able, with so much potential. Uh, pero algo, something's there within our culture that it stops that understanding of the potential within our young women. And mm -hmm. oh, ojalá, I am, I'm hoping that some of these young women that are listening, you know, listen truly to this conversation and see how not even our own family, you know, I, hablando personalmente for me, not even our own family will stop the growth 
uh, and the potential that we can have if we just continue to push forward. And I love the cycle. I love the que llegaron a, a ese final, you know, that they're like, okay, mija, te, te vamos a ir a dejar a UNL, which has yeah. got to be not easy for grown adults to try to understand their child, you know. But. Yeah. And I remember they took me to register for classes and it was everything in, you know, his parents were there and everything was in English. My dad and my parents and there was other Spanish speaking parents that were just like, what is going on? There was no Spanish speak. There was no Spanish session for them so that they could understand what I was going to experience while being at in college. Right. And. Um, and so I wanted, I changed, I wanted to change that. I'm like, I'm not going to have another parent go through the same experience that my parents went when, when they took me to UNL, because it's hard enough already to convince them to come and chop me off and support me. And then for them to still not understand what I'm going to experience while in college, while being seven hours away from them, like, no, like, you know, they come so that they can understand and feel that comfort that okay my child is going to be okay here when we don't give them that it's still they still aren't comfortable right right and so thankfully our my freshman year of college um a few of us that had parents that had that same experience we were able to speak to um you know the multicultural uh office and our dean of students and so forth and admissions and we changed it now we have spanish visit days and now families that our Spanish speaking can go visit campus and learn and understand what their child is going to go through and experience while they're in college and how they can better support their students because we didn't get the support that we had. And now we decided to create this change so that parents can support their, their students before they get to college. Right. And I, I am itchy to get to college because that's where I met you. And I know mm -hmm. just un poquito that everything that you have done in college. So um, you get to college, you're, you experience this, you change it. What else happened at UNL, you know, which who they're playing right now? I don't know if they're winning or losing. So, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 but what happened, what happened at UNL? Yeah. So freshman year, I joined MASA, uh, which is the American, Mexican American Student Association. That's where I found a lot of my friends. It was my home away from home, as well as the multicultural, the Jackie Gunn Multicultural Center. Um, and and then after that, uh, Jose Antonio Vargas visited campus and shared his story. Um, and I was before that I was meeting a lot of students that, um, had the exact same story as me came to Nebraska when they were five. Um, the only thing that made us different was that I had a pathway towards citizenship and they didn't, and they would share with me their experience on campus of not being able to, you know, their worries about even being able to stay in another semester because of the finances, right? Because, our undocumented and documented students can't apply for scholarships and so forth. Um, and even, you know, I had a roommate who had DACA and was trying to find employment on campus and they didn't know what her work permit was. 
So they made her feel uncomfortable. Um, and so Jose Antonio Vargas visited campus. He shared his story. He introduced the Define American Chapters program that the organization was started. And I was like, yeah, this is exactly what we need on campus, right? We need to have these conversations about what it means to be an American, right? Um, not only that, but also that, you know, regardless of our immigration status, you know, we are Americans, Um but really redefine what, what does that mean? Right. Um, and so I co-founded the Define American chapter at UNL. Um, so we can bring a voice to our immigrant students and shift the narrative that immigration is not just a Latinx issue. It's not just a Latinx issue. We have over 600,000 black immigrants in our country. Um, and so we wanted to change the narrative. Um, and we did that through storytelling. Uh, we had students sharing their immigration stories. Um, and we, we weren't getting the support from the institution to undo policies that would open up scholarships for our undocumented, documented students. So we started our own. We started um, at that time the Hope for the Future Scholarship. And then and it was supported by um, the Chancellor of, students, of Student Support uh, which is um, Dr. Franco, who he may rest in peace. And um, thanks to him, uh, thanks to him was how we were able to continue with uh, the scholarship. And after he passed away, um, we changed the name to honor him, um, Juan and Legacy Scholarship. And his family um, has been able to endow the scholarship. And now we have the scholarship and it's supporting, it's has supported um, students, undocumented and DACA students continue and graduate from UNL. I think, you know, just observing your history and getting to know what you're seeing with your friends and acknowledging their past just because you had gone through it, you know, and then it, in college, um, I remember going through similar pieces because it, it is not easy for going to an administrator mm -hmm. and saying, this is my work permit, or this is my legal permanent resident card. This is my green card. Um, and they have absolutely no idea mm -hmm. what to do with that. And what does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? Um, <clears throat> and just how scary, because you have this cloud of USCIS you have this cloud of ice, you have this cloud of fear of deportation constantly because you're not sure of what's going to happen next after mm -hmm. I show this card to you, you know, or after I tell you I'm undocumented or documented. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm, I'm so happy that you saw that and you you changed it and you, you I, I remember your senior year, I believe you were teaching administrators, e-professors about immigration status. Now you were doing immigration 101 to your counselors, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, we started the immigration 101 trainings to faculty and staff so that they can better understand the immigration process, understand how they can advise their students because um, advised know that DACA-mented students could study abroad. Um, and so that was something that we were able to inform them and educate them on. And, and really also, you know, when you're talking about a student's immigration status, you don't do that over email. You don't disclose a student's immigration status and their name over email because that can be public information. Right. And so we want when we're talking about 
protecting our students. That's, you know, one way to protect our undocumented students. And so, yeah, we started those and um, they became institutionalized and now they're called the Undocu Ally Trainings and the Jackie Gone Multicultural Center uh, has continued those trainings. Um, I want to shout out Katie Kodad, who is uh, the advisor for the chapter and she continues um, to advocate for immigrant students at UNL and continuing these important trainings in educating faculty and staff in the institution. Yes, yes. Flowers a quien quiera. Just make sure you, you call them out. We want to make sure we acknowledge everybody that has supported you through your path. I mean, la lista is long, right? The list is long. You, have, you probably have a lot of supporters, but definitely take some time to give flowers to those that deserve it while they're here. You know, sometimes we just don't do it enough. And mm -hmm. I just, if I may touch just real quick to one piece that you said. And this is something that I want to talk about in the future um, in regards to allyship and how mm -hmm. to know somebody's status and respecting their status. Um, I have been in a lot of rooms where somebody else's status becomes the topic of the conversation of that person without the permission of that person allowing or saying, yes, you can you can tell X person my status. Mm -hmm. So let's say, for example, we're in a room, we're trying to assist somebody in a resource room, and we know that Valeria is undocumented and she may not qualify for X resources. So instead of saying, you know, Valeria is undocumented and she doesn't qualify for X resources in front of a room that's filled with people that should not know this information, um, mm -hmm. it should be a private matter and mm -hmm. with the permission of the individual. So first right. ask, Valeria, is it okay if I disclose your status to this person at this office to see mm -hmm. if I can get assist, if you, we can get you some help? Right. Um, and then tell that one person <laughs> the status and nobody else, because it is nobody else's business. It is very much something very intimate to us uh, in regards to our status. And if I share with you my status, I hope that you keep it with you within your little heart and with really good intentions. But keep those intentions to the minimal of sharing that status. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of great people that do a lot of great work, but unfortunately, they Uh, they still do this. And um, my hope is that you don't. Uh, that is my hope for the future. All right. So let's get back to it. We haven't graduated yet because I know you've still done like a million other things. You were working as a community organizer for a little while. Do you want to, mm -hmm. whatever you want to talk about during that time, let's go ahead and yeah. talk about it. So on top of uh, starting the Define American chapter, I was, uh, I started as an intern at Nebraska Appleseed. And then from interning, I got the opportunity to be the woman empowered to lead program coordinator. And so um, we were able to start this program to go to pilot it and create Nebraska and in Scottsbluff. And so we were able to um, train um, and empower immigrant women and train them about, you know, the immigration, what immigration process looks like, Um, what does civic participation, uh, financial literacy, um, and it was really just um, uh, an opportunity to, you know, educate our, our immigrant Latina, our immigrant woman, and also really just um, 
build their their leadership development. Um, and that's when I first started to really organize in Scotts Bluff in my community. And through this through this program, I was able to continue to hear about the issues um, that our community was facing. And so um, after the Women Empowered to Lead program, I transitioned into um, a field organizer. And so that was where I was doing get out the vote efforts and leadership development in about eight rural communities across the state, Scottsbluff being one of them. And that was when it was 2017, um, when I brought together a group of uh, Latinx community members of Scotts Bluff and Native American. And we talked about the issues our community was facing um, and discussed that, you know, it's time for a nonprofit to really dive into these issues and be a voice for our underrepresented community um, in Scotts Bluff County. So that was where Empowering Families came to be. And so um, I co-founded Empowering Families in 2018, uh, right before graduating uh, UNL. Um, and so that was that was the last thing that I did while being an undergrad was found I, that I founded Empowering Families while being in Lincoln. Um, and, you know, we had folks on the ground over here while I was in Lincoln trying to get it all, all done. And it was, you know, thanks to you and Mindy. I want to shout out Mindy as well for helping, for helping me with um, that paperwork. Because again, when, when we want to do something as starting a nonprofit, it's like, okay, well, what are the steps? And you know, how do you do this? Who can help me? You know, who can guide me through this process? Um, and it was women like yourself and Mindy that were able to to do that and make empowering families happen. You know, it is it is so I, I always keep saying interesting. I got to find a different word, but it is so interesting <laughs> that we were going through that journey together because we I was starting a nonprofit here and you were starting a nonprofit there, but I'm just thinking you were in college while you were trying to start a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You were trying to graduate. I remember that as well. And I am so proud of you for not only starting a whole nonprofit, but you graduated. So what did you graduate with? Well, you said you wanted to be an uh, immigration attorney. What what's transitioning through that with your education? So I wanted to become an immigration attorney but then um, we held the first Define American Chapter Summit at UNL, and um, Jose Antonio Vargas, the founder of Define American, and Ryan Eller, um, which was the executive director at the time, they offered me a position um, with Define American. Um, and at the time, I had accepted a position with Nebraska Appleseed to continue working as a field organizer. And so um, I graduated with a political science and Spanish degree, and I ended up accepting the position with Define American. I wanted to see what that experience of working for a national nonprofit was like, um, and I was with them for nearly three years. Um, and so obviously I didn't go to law school to become an immigration attorney. Um, but I just recently joined an amazing nonprofit called Immigrant Legal Center, where I am working as a paralegal and working towards receiving my Department of Justice uh, accreditation. And so through that 
accreditation, I'll be able to take on my own cases and represent um, clients as they adjust their immigration status. Um, I just can't represent them in immigration court. Um, but at least I'm doing something similar to, to what an immigration attorney would be doing. You were so focused on Nebraska issues, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, UNL, Ian Scottsbluff. And mm-hmm. then you went to a nationwide organization. So you were traveling throughout the nation, helping other universities to set up their chapters for Define American, uh, which is a nationwide nonprofit organization. And it, so you're, you're now you're traveling nationwide and then now you're coming back home. Was there a, a was there a light that came on? Tell us a little bit about why, I guess, why? Why did you come back home? Um, the idea was to always come back home. That was the plan. And thankfully, um, and one of the primary reasons why I accepted working for a national nonprofit is because I was able to work remotely. So I was able to come back home. And I was as I was working for this national nonprofit, I was able to continue to develop empowering families. I was able to continue to organize in Scotts Bluff. And as I was traveling across the country and not only helping other youth organize on their campuses, I was also able to learn about other organizations, immigrant-led organizations in, in communities like Scotts Bluff um, that I was able to get inspired. And I'm like, if that can happen, if that change can happen in that community, it can happen in Scotts Bluff. Um, and so then, you know, thankfully, like I said, I, the plan was always to come back home, start a nonprofit and create that change. Right. Um, and so I'm pursuing, I'm getting my master's in public administration. So then I can continue to develop, um, empowering families and make it the organization that, um, it's, it is capable of being and creating the change that is needed here in our, in our community of Scottsville. I love it. I love it. I love it all. I want to have a happy dance and just throw a party because you came back. (laughs) Um, So Maria, you came back and one of the conversations that we had right before this conversation is we want to see our youth come back. What do you think we need to do to, make sure that our youth understand and know and feel like they belong in their community. Um, I think that's one of my biggest questions right here in our community. I want to make sure that they feel like they are part of Lexington, that they are mm-hmm. part of the big red right in Nebraska. Um, what what do you, what are your thoughts? How can we do that as a community? Yeah, I think that mentorship is a huge element that is needed in, in rural communities, you know, my story is an example of, I didn't have that mentorship growing up. You know, if it wasn't for, you know, my upward bound advisor, um, Nan Cushing, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have gone to college because I I knew nothing about college. I didn't have a mentor to educate me and show me what the college process was, is like, right. Um, I didn't know, I didn't know anyone that was an immigration attorney in, in Scotts Bluff or, you know, in, in, in Nebraska. And so there was no one I could talk to about having a conversation about, well, what do I want to be when I grow up? Is it something that it can be offered? Is it something that's here in my community? Right. Um, so I think mentorship is a, is a huge thing, um, that's needed in our communities. I think that if our youth 
see and look up to someone locally and that what they want to do, they can do it here locally and still and be near their family, they're going to come back. I came back because my family's here, right? And I came back because I want to live in a community where when I have children and they go to school, they're not going to get in trouble for speaking Spanish like I did. Right. I want them to be able to speak Spanish and that is seen as something beautiful to speak multiple languages. I want to live in a community where people don't stare at you weirdly because you're speaking a different language, but smile at you. and like, that's cool. Right. That they welcome you. Right. And so I came back because I want to be a part of building a community where where my children are going to grow up in. And you're doing it, Valeria. You're doing it. I want to talk about your event that's coming up, making sure, because you're busy. No namas do you have one event. You have a ton of things happening right now, but you currently are talking to our youth. Yes. So um, we are hosting the uh, 23rd Annual Multicultural Youth Leadership Conference. Um, and this multicultural youth leadership conference has been happening. It's our 20, the 23rd annual one already. Um, this, this conference happened before, started before my time. Um, and, um, it is something that as an organization, as empowering families, we have been able to bring it under our wing and fund, fund it so that it can continue to, to happen and grow for our youth right here, here in Scotts Bluff. And so it is taking place September 29th and September 30th. Um, we are going, our keynote speaker, his name is Bamba John Bamba. He is an immigrant from the Ivory Coast. He um, is an actor. He was in the Black Panther, in The Good Place, uh, Grey's Anatomy, um, and in Will Smith's uh, Netflix series, uh, Amended. He's in the 16th episode, I believe, um, talking about citizenship. Um, he is an immigrant advocate, um, and so he's going to share with us, you know, his story as an immigrant, as a Black immigrant um, in our country and as an actor. And so we are super excited to have him as our uh, high school keynote speaker and for our community event, which will then happen that evening. Um, and then the 30th, we will be having Juan Cangas um, out of Omaha or Grand Island. Um, and so we are super excited to, to be hosting um, the conference and provide workshop sessions for our youth um, so that they can learn about climate change, about uh, voting and, you know, how to get engaged civically and what does that look like um, about uh, life. Uh, we're going to have a, a life reality check. And so uh, youth are going to be able to experience, you know, if, if you have these bills, you know, budgeting and, um, you know, the, the differences between going to a, a community college, a trade school, a university and so forth. And so really just educating our youth um, on on all of these amazing topics um, that I know I didn't have the opportunity to to attend the conference when I was in high school. And so I'm just amazed. I'm just thankful that. I'm able to be a part of um, now organizing and helping the conference and 
you know, make it happen and continue to make it happen for our youth in, in Scott's Bluff and across the Panhandle, right? Because we've invited schools from across the Panhandle. Very cool. And do your speakers, you know, you already have really awesome speakers that have experience in talking about these issues. So that's really exciting. And I love your reality check because it hits you. <laughs> as soon as you get those bills piling up, you're like, wait a minute. Mi mami no me dijo. Mi papi no me dijo. What are you doing? You know, so yes, you have to work and you have to pay bills. So that's really, that's really cool that you're bringing that to the community as well. Civic participation is something that's really important for us. Um, and I just want to stress that, um, you know, there's a midterm election that is happening next year. Just because it's a midterm election doesn't mean that we sit at home and not turn out to vote. Like we need to turn out to vote um, because our local elections are just as important as those national elections. And so I think that is something that I would love to um share with with all of you that are listening and that will listen um, and to really encourage your friends, your community uh, members, your families to register to vote and to turn out to vote. And if they don't know how, send empowering families a message. We'll definitely um, send you some educational material um, so that you can be civically engaged. I think that's great. Yolanda and I talked about this on Wednesday is about running también, you know, in addition to voting, hey, no limits here in this room, right? We want to make sure that you all know that you're more than capable of running for local and statewide offices. So we definitely encourage anyone and everyone. And then if you have questions, like Valeria said, all you have to do is ask and we'll make sure to connect you to the right resources to make sure that you feel supported if you choose to run and or have questions about voting mm -hmm. here in the future. Again, no limits in this podcast. Believe that we have a greater future ahead. Believe that we have bigger programming ahead. And Valeria, yes, you are a great role model and a courageous mujer. And I'm super grateful to have you here with us again. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I am 100% grateful for your friendship, for knowing you, for knowing your courage, and for knowing your family, because I know they are now a big part of your, of your world and have been. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for creating this amazing podcast. Gracias, mujer. Well, this is it, everyone. Make sure you join us. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to watch it all, we'll have it on YouTube and Facebook. You'll also have the opportunity to listen to it on our podcast via Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcast, or any podcasting streaming device that you choose. So, muchas gracias y hasta la próxima.